Welcome to the Beef Brunch Educational Series podcast, bringing you information on cattle production and management in Louisiana and surrounding states. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have right at 1030, so we're going to go ahead and get started. I want to thank you all for joining this morning's Beef Brunch Educational Series webinar. My name is Ashley Edwards, and I'll be hosting for you today. I'm excited to say that today our speaker is Dr. Jason Banta. Dr. Banta serves as a beef cattle specialist for Texas A&M AgriLife Extension um, in Overton, Texas, which is in East Texas. And today he will be discussing mineral supplementation. Before we get started, just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, your microphones are going to be muted, and we're going to ask that you keep them that way throughout the webinar. If you're joining, joining online through the Teams app or link, you can enter your questions into the Q&A box at any time during the presentation. If you're calling in and listening to us, you can text your questions to me. My number is 512-818-5476. Again, if you've called in and you're listening to us, you can text questions to me throughout the webinar. That number is 512-818-5476. In the interest of time, we will wait to answer your questions um, until the end of Dr. Banta's presentation. So with that, Dr. Banta, thank you so much for taking the time this morning. You should be able to begin whenever you're ready. Well, thank you, Dr. Edwards. I appreciate y'all having me uh, today. Uh, just to double check, the slides are still up. I noticed while we were talking, it had switched presentations on me. So we have the right one? Yes, sir. You're good to go. All right, perfect. So I do want to talk about mineral supplementation for beef cattle today. And before we get going too far, I do need to give a few disclaimers. I am going to talk about uh, some brand names in here. It's just easier if we do that in some situations. Um, if you don't see a product in here, that doesn't necessarily mean we're trying to discriminate against that product or endorsing the ones we have in here. But when we do talk about some of these products, it's, it's much easier if we go ahead and use the brand names. So to start off with, when we talk about mineral nutrition for beef cattle, why is that important? Well, mineral nutrition can impact growth, it can impact reproduction, it can impact uh, milk production of those cows, as well as health, and all that's going to impact profitability for our operation. Next thing we want to start thinking about as we build into this mineral supplementation uh, talk is where do cattle get minerals from? And typically the one we think about is the mineral feeder, all right? But it's important to realize that cattle get minerals from the forage they consume, whether that's hay or pasture, from any protein or energy supplements that we provide those animals, as well as water. And in some situations, water can actually create some problems for us. So when I think about what I would call a complete mineral supplement, it's gonna have a few different components. One of those components is gonna be salt. Um, it's going to have what we'd call our macro minerals. Uh, we'll talk about those here in detail in a minute. It'll have what we call our trace minerals or micro minerals. And then typically it may have vitamins A, D, and E as well in there. So just kind of as a reminder, when we talk about macro minerals, we're talking about minerals that we're going to measure in terms of percent of their concentration in the diet. And so we're talking about calcium, phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, sodium, and sulfur would be the main ones. And then when we think about our trace minerals, we'd measure them in parts per million or milligrams per kilogram. And don't get hung up on that. That's actually the same thing there, ppm or milligrams per kilogram. 
works out to be the, the same concentration. And for the trace minerals, we'd be talking about copper, zinc, manganese, iodine, cobalt, selenium, iron, and then some other ones, but really those first six there. So when I think about mineral formulations and really thinking about loose mineral formulations that we would buy in a 50 pound bag typically, uh, when we think about Texas and Louisiana, even Oklahoma and Arkansas, we'll see similar formulations and we can group them into a couple different categories. So one of those groups is gonna be the most common and that would be the products I would refer to as our higher calcium, lower phosphorus minerals. So for example, they may contain 15 to 16 calcium and four to seven and a half percent phosphorus in most situations. Then we would have our minerals that I would call our similar calcium and phosphorus levels or maybe a little higher on the phosphorus side. Uh, most of the current formulations are gonna be somewhere between 12 and 14% calcium and eight to 12% phosphorus. Uh, back in the day, a 12-12 would fit there. We just don't see very many of those anymore. And there's some reasons why we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the last group is what I would term our winter pasture minerals that would have a moderate or higher level of magnesium. Uh, at least 5% is generally plenty. We don't need to get really high on that magnesium level, but I do like to see at least 5% there and then have a little more calcium in that winter pasture mineral as well. So to kind of give you some examples here, these would be from three national companies, and this would be what I would consider their higher calcium, lower phosphorus type product. And just you can see the, the range in calcium and phosphorus levels, and then some other concentrations we would have as well. So you can see on these products here, salt would range from about 16 to 21%. That's very typical unless we're right on the Gulf Coast. Uh, magnesium in these products would be from one to five. So the middle example there, B, would work for winter pasture. The other two don't have quite enough magnesium. Most minerals we won't see very much, if any, potassium. And then we'll see a component of our trace minerals and then vitamin A, D, and E there as well. Don't worry about honing in on the numbers. What I really want you to kind of see is just these are some examples and how all the boxes are filled in here, except for maybe potassium. That's gonna be important when we look at some other products that get sold later on. So when we think about minerals, we think about the basic mineral formulation, and then it's important to realize there's different additives as well. Um, and when we think about those additives, I'll lump them into two groups, what I would call the well-researched products, and then the products that really don't have as much or any research supporting them. So under the well-researched group, the first compound there would be there our IGRs, or insect growth regulators, that we have in there for fly control. Most of the time that would be methoprene, but in some situations it could be diflubenzeron. Another common um, additive would be chlorotetracycline or CTC. Remember, if you're going to be feeding a mineral with chlorotetracycline in it, because that is an antibiotic, you do need a veterinary feed directive for that. And then our onophores would be other examples, Bovitec and Remensin. 
And it's important to realize that Bulbatech is not labeled for cows, it's only labeled for growing animals. So be aware of that if you're feeding a mineral with Bulbatech in there. Now, a lot of times when we start thinking about these additives, it makes it look like there's a lot of products out there and it creates confusion. But in reality, what we have in most situations is one or two of those base type products with a different combination of additives. So for example, here we could have just the plain mineral and we'll call it product A, or we could have it with IGR, we could have it with the CTC, or we could have it with both IGR and CTC. So it looks like there's four different minerals there, but in fact, there's only one mineral with a different combination of additives. Now, when we think about that not well-researched or limited or no benefit category for the additives, there's a long list of those out there. I would encourage you to be very cautious of some of the claims that are being made because there's no data to support them, nor is, is there not a reason why we would expect those, those products to live up to those claims. Uh, you do have to be aware of, unfortunately, sometimes companies will selectively report research. So they'll show you the positive research for the additive, but not all the research that didn't show a benefit, or maybe it even showed negative benefit. And then realize most of those additives just would not be justified with the added cost. So when we think about our minerals, there's some geographic and forage system considerations we need to be aware of. One of the big ones is the phosphorus level. Um, we don't need very much phosphorus in our mineral, and especially right now where feed prices are at, phosphorus is the typically the most expensive component of that mineral supplement, so there's no reason to be feeding any extra phosphorus. Uh, there is a big misconception with phosphorus out there about uh, it having huge impacts on reproduction, and that's just not the case. Once we meet the nutrient requirements of those animals for phosphorus, providing additional phosphorus is not going to improve reproduction. It's just going to add cost to your mineral program. The other thing to realize is the NRC or nutrient requirements for cattle, the phosphorus levels in there are too high. Uh, and the gentleman who wrote that chapter will tell you that. I bring that up just because of some conversations I've had to have with some companies out there and, and they'll say, well, it's at the NRC level. And I'll say, well, that's higher than what we need. And here's all the reasons why. So just realize we, we don't need any extra phosphorus. It's not helping us and it's costing us additional money. And in some situations, it could actually be hurting us. If you're along the coast, uh, you know that mineral intake can be challenging in those areas. So what we will typically do is try a low salt formulation that can help. That salt actually encourages intake to a point and then it will discourage intake. So along the coast, we typically have to drop those salt levels. Um, sometimes if that doesn't work, you may consider a molasses-based mineral tub if you can get consumption there. Or there's some work by Dr. Arthington out of Florida that would suggest uh, including a mineral supplement in a cube and feeding it once a week could work pretty well under some situations. Obviously, there's a little more labor doing that, but if it, you do need to get some mineral in those cattle and you can't, that may be an option along the Gulf Coast regions. Um, and when I say Gulf Coast regions, I'm talking right along the coast, not a couple hours away. When we think about 
winter pasture and I realized this year uh, winter pasture was, was more spotty depending on how much rain you got. Parts of Louisiana looking at the drought monitor have been pretty dry. Definitely parts of Texas have been as well. But what we think about on winter pastures is grass tetany is a concern. And the big thing there is getting a consistent intake of magnesium into those animals. So not as much about the amount, but that consistent intake. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, 5% or more is plenty in those minerals. We don't need those real high levels. A lot of times that will discourage intake with the exception of a few products. The other thing is we do need some salt to go along with that. That sodium from the salt is important for getting magnesium absorbed. Some of the companies who don't know as much about mineral, when they try to make a winter pasture mineral, they may pull the salt out and that's not a good thing. The other thing it's important to realize typically is grass tetany. We don't see it by itself. Typically we'll see both a little grass tetany as well as milk fever. Milk fever is just a calcium deficiency. And so in addition to wanting that 5% or more magnesium, we do want a high level of calcium and a low level of phosphorus in that winter pasture mineral. Another situation we have to be aware of is if you've used a lot of poultry litter on your operation, um, we can actually get an inverted calcium and phosphorus ratio in the forage from all that poultry litter. And if you're in that situation, um, we're gonna need to feed a special mineral. That inverted calcium phosphorus ratio increases our risk of milk fever and grass tetany. Um, and when I say a special mineral, we would often be feeding a mineral without any phosphorus at all in it, if that is the problem. And then copper and zinc can also be a problem from too much poultry litter, uh, especially on Brahmin influence cattle. They're a little more sensitive to that copper. And I have worked some cases the last couple of years where this situation has led to some deaths in some cattle. So we have to be aware of that. So when we think about our trace minerals, remember that's gonna be copper, zinc, manganese, selenium, iodine, and cobalt. And typically we'll talk about copper, zinc, and manganese together. Um, it's important to realize what we're really shooting for is that target. Too little is not good. And by providing some, we can sometimes see some improvements in performance, but too much mineral can definitely be a problem. And I'll tell you, I probably see more situations of too much trace mineral than not enough in most situations these days. So the other important thing to realize is trace mineral supplementation is not the magic bullet everybody would like it to be. It's important, but when we think about the big changes in body condition score, pregnancy rates, weaning weights, that's gonna be due to protein and energy intake. If we don't have those right, that trace mineral is not going to overcome those that inadequate energy and protein intake. Um, the trace minerals, a good way to think about them is they provide us an insurance policy. If we have some deficiencies, they can help with that. I mentioned this, but I'm going to reiterate it just because it is a, a growing problem. But too much trace mineral can cause decreased average daily gain decreased weaning weights, decreased feed intake, reduction in pregnancy rates, and even some situations, death. We need to be very cautious of using multiple products with added trace minerals. So 
You don't want to be using a, a cube with added trace minerals and then have a tub with trace minerals and then have a loose trace mineral out there. Uh, multiple sources can get us into problems, so we have to be uh, aware of that. And then we also have to be mindful of, and this is where it's important to have a nutritionist formulating that product is, if we get too much free copper, zinc, and probably iodine in the rumen, that's going to reduce fiber digestibility. If we reduce fiber digestibility, we're going to reduce performance of those animals. So again, it's about hitting the right amount, not too much, not too little. Uh, just quickly, uh, I'll kind of highlight what this is and point out why we have to be careful with some of these trace minerals. So what I did here was show the trace mineral and then what the requirement would be in the diet. And then we have guidelines on what would be the maximum level that we would want to go above. And then I went ahead and created a ratio of those two. So for instance, for copper there, the requirement would be uh, 10 parts per million or 10 milligrams per kilogram. The maximum would be about 40 uh, ppm in the diet. And so that ratio, if we're only four times more than the requirement, we can start seeing a problem. Uh, you see zinc uh, next on the list there, and then cobalt would be one of the, the ones we would have less concern of getting too much in the diet. Especially when we think about copper, zinc, and manganese, it's important that we keep those in a certain ratio. Uh, the dietary requirement is 10, 30, 40 parts per million in the diet for those three. I'm going to tell you when we formulate a mineral, when we think about what the concentration of copper, zinc, and manganese typically is in our forage, that I would like to see either a 1-3-2 ratio or a 1-4-2 ratio in the mineral, meaning we have three times as much zinc in the mineral or four times as much zinc in the mineral as copper, and then we have twice as much manganese as we do copper. Uh, some good targets for copper in most situations, if we're talking about a four ounce mineral, and most minerals are going to be formulated for roughly a four ounce intake. There are a few out there for a two ounce intake. But for a four ounce intake, I would like to see that copper level 12 to 1500 parts per million in most situations. I'm gonna tell you many products have way more copper than they need uh, in them and that excess copper uh, can lead to reduced average daily gain, feed intake and even death in certain situations. So more is not always better. When we think about selenium, uh, the requirement for a 1,350 pound cow would be about 1.4 milligrams per day. There is a legal limit set at three milligrams per day, and that's where most minerals uh, have their selenium levels is to achieve that three milligrams per day. It's important to realize that's over double the requirement of that cow. So there's absolutely no reason to be putting any extra selenium into those animals. And under certain situations, uh, typically not in our area, uh, Texas or Louisiana, but as we get into some of the Western states, there's actually some plants that will accumulate selenium and then toxicity could be an issue in those situations. When we think about iodine, um, the preferred forms that we would like to see in that mineral would be either EDDI, that it will be the most common. Uh, calcium iodate is another one that we may see, but EDI is 
EDDI is going to be the most common. And for a four ounce mineral, I would like to see that level at or above about 100 parts per million. We want to try to avoid potassium or sodium iodine. They're, they're less stable. So if you're reading the tag on that mineral and you, you see those two, that's something to be aware of. And if you're unsure what to look at, uh, if you'll snap a picture of that mineral tag, I'm sure uh, Dr. Edwards would be happy to look at that and you can send it to her or you can send it to her and she can send it to me and I'll be happy to look at it as well. The other thing on the iodine is, is you hear a lot of people talk about, well, give them more iodine from a foot rot standpoint. And there's actually not any data to support that. If you go back and look at the data out of California, what they found is if they were deficient in iodine, giving a little iodine did help with foot rot. But once they met the requirements, we didn't see any benefit beyond that point. And we do know if we get too much iodine in those animals, it's going to reduce weight gain and feed intake. Uh, some other considerations when it comes to trace minerals. I mentioned poultry litter and copper and zinc earlier. Uh, what I would encourage you to do if you have been using quite a bit of poultry litter, when you send your uh, hay in for analysis, and I typically would send those samples to the Dairy One Lab in Ithaca, New York, and I'll be happy to provide additional information if anybody would like that. But in addition to the routine test, we're going to add a wet chemistry test on there for copper, zinc, manganese, and molybdenum. That's only going to cost us an extra $10, but can really give us a good idea if we're getting too much calcium and phosphorus or too much copper and zinc from that poultry litter fertilization in that hay. Uh, copper toxicity, there are some potential breed differences. It does look like our Brahmin and our Brahmin influenced cattle are a little more sensitive to too much copper. So especially high percentage Brahmin cattle, we have to be aware of that. Uh, and then when we see a lot of problems is the use of injectables or drenches. That's not something I'm going to routinely recommend and, and you want to be very, very cautious about that. And then force feeding is where we've also seen some problems. What I mean by force feeding is people think, well, a little mineral is good, a lot's better. So they'll take their loose mineral supplement that we normally put out their free choice and they'll take and mix it with another feed to make those cattle eat more. And that can cause a problem in those situations. Uh, another thing that's kind of changed, especially the copper situation, is changes in coal burning uh, power plants. Is they used to kick out a lot of sulfur, which would tie up some of that copper. That just doesn't happen anymore because of regulations at those plants. So we don't have that issue like we did 30 years ago. Uh, another place where I see some problems is some cattle just genetically are going to have that brown hair coat and no matter how much copper you give them, it's not going to change that. So that's a genetic deal and not a mineral deal. Just make sure you're aware of that. You're not trying to change hair coat when it's a genetic and not a mineral deal. So when we think about sources of trace minerals, and I'm not going to get into this in real detail unless there's some specific questions, but we can kind of break the sources up into three different groups or inorganic sources or organic sources. And then the most recent category is what we would call our hydroxy sources. Um, it's important to realize that all cattle, even if we're not giving them a mineral supplement, do consume some organic trace mineral just from the forage and the feedstuffs they consume. 
it's extremely important to realize that the research is extremely inconsistent on animal growth, reproduction, and health. So organic sources cost more, and the data is just not clear that that cost is justifiable. In some situations, that could be a negative. Uh, I would tell you, generally speaking, when we think about the vitamin A, D, and E that we have in our loose mineral supplements, the hydroxy sources uh, and even the organic sources tend to be a little safer for those um, vitamins there. And that's again where it comes into play of just making sure you're getting that from a company that has a trained nutritionist building that mineral supplement. So when we think about vitamins in cattle, we have what we would refer to as our water-soluble vitamins or B vitamins. We don't worry about supplementing those in beef cattle because they're produced by rumen microbes. So that leaves us with the fat-soluble vitamins, uh, specifically A, D, and E. Vitamin K is a fat-soluble vitamin, but it's produced by rumen microbes as well. So we're really just thinking about A, D, and E. Vitamin A we get from green growing grasses. Vitamin D we get from the sunlight. Uh, and then vitamin E is something they would need to consume from the diet, but most mineral supplements are gonna have A, D, and E in there. Do wanna mention just quickly on vitamin A uh, that if we have a deficiency, it could result in the birth of dead or weak calves retain placentas, uh, reduce conception, and then impaired sperm production in our bulls. Um, only time that really becomes an issue is under drought conditions if you're not feeding a mineral that has some vitamin A in there. Tubs are something that a lot of people ask about when it comes to mineral supplementation. It's important to realize if you're gonna use a tub that most of those are gonna need a separate source of salt. So in addition to the tub, you would need to put a salt block out there. Most of them are gonna have a similar calcium and phosphorus ratio, um, which is okay, but typically we would prefer a higher calcium, lower phosphorus level in those minerals. And then most are gonna have less calcium than our loose mineral supplements. And if we're, we're needing more calcium, that is something to be aware of. Uh, just to show you an example here, this is from uh, one company recommended intake would be four to eight ounces. So intake is higher with the tubs than it is our loose mineral and definitely cost is higher. The thing I want you to notice here is uh, the middle column there, uh, which would kind of be their standard uh, product. Notice it has 10% salt, but only 1% magnesium. So most of the year that would be a good option. But if you're gonna be using a tub on winter pasture when you're grazing that ryegrass or uh, oats or wheat or something like that, notice on their magnesium mineral tub while they bump the magnesium level up to five, that's good. There's no salt in there. And remember I told you earlier, we need that salt to get that magnesium absorbed. So real critical if the mineral tub doesn't have salt that we go ahead and put just a plain white salt block or plain loose white salt out with it. Blocks are something we get a lot of questions about. Just as a reminder, this graph is showing some loose mineral examples and just look at how all those boxes are filled. When we go to these blocks, and I just picked uh, some of the more common ones here and filled in the, the boxes the same, notice 
none of these would be complete mineral supplements. All of these blocks are missing something. And in most situations, they're, they're missing a lot of things. So you can see the big six, it does have some trace minerals, but not in the right ratios or at the right amounts at any levels. Uh, the SE90 is one that would have some more selenium in there. Again, not balanced the way we want. The iodized one would just be salt and iodine. Iodine's at a level lower than we would like it to see. And then that sulfur block doesn't have anything but salt and sulfur. Um, the other thing with a lot of these blocks is they have a tendency to use some mineral sources that just are not very available to the animal. Uh, copper oxide has very, very little availability. You can see in this uh, mineral block, that's what they put in there. So it may have copper in there, but not in a form that really helps us. Um, sulfur blocks are something uh, that there really is not a reason to have in the industry. Not only do they not help you, in a lot of situations they could actually hurt you. Uh, so you really want to avoid those uh, yellow salt blocks or what some people would call a sulfur block. Uh, there's not any evidence to sh show that they have any help from an external parasite control standpoint. And we know they can have some issues with copper absorption. So when it comes to the blocks, I'm going to tell you most of those just don't have any place for us. The one exception to that rule would be a plain white salt block if our tub didn't have any salt in it. When we think about mineral feeders, there's a lot of different options out there. If we look at the one there on the top left hand corner, just that open uh, feeder. Uh, if you were in a very, very low rainfall environment, that would be an option. Obviously for Louisiana or East Texas, that's just not a good option. If we look at the feeder on the top right hand corner, um, those work really well. They're really easy to refill and they're easy to check. The downside is you have a little more expense tied up in those. Uh, the bottom left down there is what we refer to commonly as a bullproof mineral feeder. So just a plastic feeder with the rubber mat on top and those cattle will learn to lift that up and get that mineral pretty uh, easily there. If you are using that feeder, one thing to be mindful of is make sure you keep it in the shade. That rubber mat during the summer can get really, really hot. So we do want to be mindful of where we place that. And then the bottom right corner, uh, one version of a wind vane mineral feeder. Um, those are easy to refill and check. And if you don't have any bulls, they work pretty good. If you do have bulls, those bulls tend to use those as a play toy and will destroy those pretty quickly. Um, so just something to be mindful of. So in Calcaf operations, we're usually looking at that bullproof mineral feeder there on the bottom left, or um, the wooden feeder uh, with the roof on top of it there on the top right. Either one of those are, are good options. So when we think about mineral intake, cattle do not have nutritional wisdom. They don't know they need so much of this mineral or so much of that. So putting several different options out there and letting them choose doesn't do any good. It just creates a lot of extra work and creates a mineral imbalance, okay? They're gonna eat what tastes good. When we think about mineral intake, it's important to focus on consumption over several weeks because the intake will vary over time. 
Other thing to realize is a lactating cow is going to eat more mineral than the dry cow. Um, and that's not just because that calf is eating some mineral, it's because intake actually increases when those cows are lactating. And so a lot of times in those lactating cows, you may see that intake double uh, at times. Just to kind of show you an example of the variation in mineral intake and why we want to look at a pattern over several weeks or months, um, you can see here going from March of one year through September of the other year, how we have, have some ups and downs there, but you can see across that period, uh, this herd was averaging 3.6 ounces. That's right where we want to be. So when I talk about a mineral that's targeted for four ounces of intake, if we're in that three to four ounce range on average, we're, we're doing good, no problem there. If your intake is too high, there's a few things we can look at doing to reduce that. Uh, provide salt-free choice uh, will help cut that mineral intake down. Check the location of that mineral feeder and maybe move it a little further away from your water source or where those cattle like to bed. Or maybe you just reduce the amount of mineral you feed. So you know the cattle are targeted for this amount of intake for the week. You put that out and then don't fill that mineral feeder back up to the next week. Uh, if intake is too low, you need to see if those cattle are getting sore salt from somewhere else. If they are, that can be a problem and we need to check that. Um, and then if they're not eating as much, move that mineral feeder closer to water or closer where those cattle have shade and, and tend to bed and those kind of things. When we look at some different components of that mineral supplement and how they're going to impact intake, is salt is generally going to encourage intake initially. So cattle do crave salt and want a little bit of it, so it will encourage them to consume that mineral. And then at a certain point, that salt actually works to limit mineral intake. Um, so it, salt works both ways. When we look at phosphorus, it's pretty unpalatable, so it will decrease mineral intake. And then magnesium is pretty impalatable, so it will decrease mineral intake as well. You will see some additives included in minerals at times to help encourage intake. Uh, molasses, yeast are going to be the two common in addition to some other flavoring agents. And then a lot of times mineral oil will be included and that can help. And then weatherization is important. And what do we mean by weatherization? is products they apply to that mineral to keep it from turning into a brick if it gets wet or we have high humid conditions. So we want a mineral with a good weatherization on it. It does cost a little bit more, but it will save you money in the long run. And those good products, sometimes they may clump up, but the clumps are soft enough that that cow, when they kind of hit it with their nose, uh, they'll go ahead and break them up. Whereas in other situations, that mineral gets a little wet or humid and it turns into a brick and then those cattle aren't going to eat it. So weatherization is something that can really di differentiate between different products out there. Just quickly, when we think about calculating mineral intake, let's just say we had 35 cows. Uh, just wait till the mineral feeder is empty or empty it. Put a 50 pound sack out. If that mineral lasts for six days, 50 pounds divided by six days tells us the herd was eating a little over eight pounds a day. 
divide that by the 35 head in the herd. And that would tell us on average those cows were eating about uh, 0.24 pounds or just under a quarter pound a day, which if we convert that to ounces would be 3.8 ounces. So a quarter pound is just four ounces a day. So just so you can monitor your mineral intake occasionally on those cows. So the question everybody probably really wants to know is when and what do I need to feed from a mineral standpoint? So the big thing I would tell you is purchasing mineral from a reputable company that has a nutritionist on staff. I can't tell you how many mineral tags I look at that people send me that just make me shake my head and scratch my head. I have no clue what the person was doing that tried to make that mineral. Uh, it's obviously they, they don't have as much training on that topic as they really need. I like to have some flexibility in my mineral program. What I mean by that is I want to find a mineral where I don't have to have a different mineral for the cow herd, my replacement heifers, wean calves, those kind of things. I want to find a mineral that I can feed to everybody. And in a lot of situations, find a mineral where I may only need one formulation for the entire year. So when we think about cow-calf operations, when should you feed a mineral? Year-round is going to be the best uh, way to do it. If you just say, Jason, I'm not willing to do that, I would tell you the last three months of gestation and the first three months of lactation would be the most critical time. And then make sure you just have some plain salt out the rest of the time. Now, as far as what products, and we can't go through every product, so what I did is picked uh, a couple of the national companies that I know have products spread around a large geographical area, and we'll talk about their options. So if you're on introduced pasture or those cattle are consuming hay and introduced pasture, Bermuda grass, Bahia grass, Dallas grass, those types of forages, we want a higher calcium, lower phosphorus mineral. So if you're feeding Cargill right now mineral, we want to feed Emerald, okay? If you're feeding Perina wind and rain, we want to feed either the all season five complete or the all season 7.5 complete. The five and the 7.5 refer to the level of phosphorus there, if you're wondering about that. And then if you're feeding ADM, we would feed their AMPT product line and specifically the AMPT-A, so the AMPT-A. That's for introduced pasture or hay. We want a higher calcium, lower phosphorus level. If we're looking at growing native range, and obviously that's something that probably is not gonna be relevant for most of you there in Louisiana, but I go ahead and leave it in here in case maybe you're running some cattle uh, further west in some different areas. Uh, so for our own growing native range, we want a higher calcium, lower phosphorus mineral, or if we're on dormant native range, but we're feeding a protein or energy supplement that has some phosphorus in it, we still want a higher calcium, lower phosphorus mineral. So just like on the previous slide, what we're going to be looking at here is Cargill, the Emerald, Perina, uh, the all season five or the all season seven and a half complete and ADM, the AMPT-A. If you uh, do have some cattle out west on dormant native range and they're not getting any protein or energy supplement, 
That's where we may consider a similar calcium and phosphorus level mineral. The key is to make sure intake is adequate. A lot of times as we bump that phosphorus level, the intake goes too low and we would actually be better off just staying with our higher calcium, lower phosphorus mineral. Um, but this, this is where we would want for Cargill or bronze, Perina, uh, all season 12 complete, or ADM, AMP-P. And I will tell you, like for Cargill, for example, you may know they have the different colored bags to kind of help you. Um, and what I'm going to tell you is, regardless of what the feed company uh, salesperson tells you where you was your purchase your mineral you for Louisiana you don't want to go to that bronze just stay with the emerald year round uh, the Cargill nutritionist will tell you the same thing uh, I called him about 10 years ago and I said you need to know this is the recommendation I'm making on your product and his response was no problem that's the same recommendation I make I bring that up because I've, I've personally ran into that when I went into buy some mineral at a feed store that I hadn't frequented as much. Uh, the person at the counter said, I said, I want an emerald mineral. And he said, no, it's during the fall. You want that bronze mineral. I'm like, no, I want the emerald. And he's like, no, sir, you want the bronze. And I said, well, let me introduce myself to you real quick and explain my background. He goes, oh, I guess you do know what you want. OK, so the emerald year round, if we're going to go with Cargill. Uh, winter pasture, higher calcium, lower phosphorus, which at least 5% magnesium. Make sure we're getting good intake. That emerald from Cargill does have 5% magnesium. That's why we can feed it year round. If you're feeding a Perina mineral, we were feeding an all season five or seven and a half complete earlier. The seven and a half complete doesn't have enough magnesium, so we would want to go to Perina's high mag mineral. It does have a pretty high level of magnesium in it, but they have worked to make sure the intake is good on it. And most people I talk to, we do see good intake even on that high mag mineral. If you're using the Prina All Season 5 Complete, it has enough uh, magnesium in there where you would be okay. If you go to ADM, it would be their AMP-M for magnesium. So AMPT-M there is what we would want to use on winter pasture. So just to kind of think about it, typically you're either going to be feeding one mineral year round or you may feed one mineral for the majority of the year. And then if you have winter pasture and you're using Perina or ADM, you would switch to their higher magnesium products. So that's for the cow herd. What about our growing animals when we think about wean calves, stockers, or replacement heifers? It's going to be very similar, pretty much basically the same with just a few examples. Uh, calcium needs do increase as average daily in gain increases. So if those animals are grazing cool season annuals, that ryegrass, that wheat, those legumes, we do want to make sure we get some extra calcium in them. That extra calcium is very important for performance, and we're going to want at least 10 grams of extra calcium. I'm going to tell you on those growing animals, don't worry about magnesium, okay? We don't have grass tetany in those growing animals. That's just an issue in those lactating animals. Now, just to make sure we meet the magnesium requirement, I don't have mind having a little bit of magnesium in the mineral, but I don't want it too high because it hurts intake and then I don't get enough calcium in those animals. 
Um, this is some research from Oklahoma State, Dr. Gerald Horn up there. Um, this is actually a four-year average of several studies. They, they have several more, but I'm just going to present this one. And what they looked at is on those cattle gaining or grazing winter wheat, what happens if they fed them a mineral or didn't feed them a mineral with average daily gain? And what they saw was the cattle getting the mineral uh, had an increase in average daily gain of almost a quarter pound a day. And that's typically going to be from that extra calcium that we're getting in that mineral. So if you're running cattle out on winter pasture, those growing animals, make sure we're getting good mineral intake so we get that calcium in them. Great return on investment there. Just to kind of show you how mineral or calcium concentration would interact there. So figuring uh, just a little over two ounce intake for those growing animals. If the mineral only has 12% calcium and they were eating 0.15 pounds a day, uh, that'd get a little over eight grams, which isn't quite enough. 16% uh, calcium, they would get almost 11. That would be plenty. And then a 20% calcium, they'd get a little over 13 and a half, which would be plenty. So calves graze in winter pasture really want at least 16 to 20% calcium in that mineral. That's what I wanted to talk about today. So any questions anybody has, feel free to go ahead and ask those at this point in time. Thank you, Dr. Thank Grant. You. So as he said, you can get those questions into the Q&A box. Um, again, you can also text those to me if you've called in. Uh, my number is 512-818-5476. Um, while we're waiting on those, Dr. Banta, I'm not sure. Uh, I apologize, I guess, if you if you covered this and I missed it. We get a lot of questions on do they need to purchase chelated minerals or not or what are chelated minerals do you mind touching on that briefly absolutely i don't mind at all let me back up real quick i didn't use that term so the term i used was organic which chelates would fall under our organic category and what i would say for most producers is especially commercial cow-calf producers there's the data in my opinion does not support the cost of purchasing those more expensive chelated minerals. Um, and when we look at that data, I will tell you there's data out there that shows whether you want to call it a chelate or an organic. Uh, there's some data that shows a benefit. There's a lot of data that shows no benefit. And then there's a decent amount of data that shows actually a reduction in performance. So there are times where you may be spending more on that mineral and actually hurting yourself in that situation. So commercial cow-calf operations, I just don't think we can really justify the added expense in those situations. If you're a seed stock producer, uh, as long as you're not overfeeding it, if you wanna go that route, I'm not gonna tell you not to, uh, but just realize the data is extremely inconsistent. Uh, I'll just tell you personally, um, Mineral I feed is always going to be uh, primarily an inorganic mineral. Um, and when we say chelated, that's just um, we take an amino acid and attached to that mineral. And when we look at people talk about better absorption, and yes, we get better absorption, but typically when we're only talking about 5 to 20% increase in absorption over a good inorganic standard source, 
And when you think about that and think about the variation in mineral intake we see, that's why a lot of times we just don't see any benefit from that chelated mineral. And then the other thing to consider there is remember I told you once we meet the requirement of that animal, getting extra in them doesn't help. Um, and so just to kind of put a little bowl around that, the data is highly inconsistent, whether it's inorganic, chelated, organic, hydroxy forms of those minerals. That has, does that answer the question you were asking, Ashley? Yes, sir, thank you. Like I said, I know that's a question we get quite often, so I appreciate you clarifying that for everyone. Yeah, um, no problem. And I know too, as a, a side note, um, we have we have several producers that have called and asked um, they're interested in multi-species rotational grazing. And so from a small ruminant side, I'm also going to plug in, be careful on your minerals and what you use, particularly we've got a lot of guys that have started implementing um, some Dorper sheep into their operations and they're following the cattle, you know, up with the Dorper sheep in terms of the rotational grazing and copper is, is a big concern for our sheep. So make sure that you reach out to to one of us to make sure that your minerals um, you know are appropriate for both species or we recommend beef minerals versus the sheep and goat minerals um, and even though sheep and goat will differ from each other a little bit yeah and, and definitely there and talking to some of my colleagues who are actually sheep and goat nutritionists uh, what they'll tell us is most of the time we do need to be mindful of copper but don't get scared that's kind of been taken out of context in a lot of situations. Um, we do we do want to make sure we look at them and are mindful of that. But a lot of times if we're feeding normal level of copper, we could be OK there. Perfect. So I am going to take over the screen. Um, I don't see any questions yet, but y'all just a reminder, you can go ahead and get your questions into the Q&A. We do still have some time for that. And so what I've shared right here um, at the end of each Beef Brunch webinar, we do ask that y'all please go in and complete a short survey. Um, you can do this a few different ways. Uh, as you can see here on the screen, you can open your camera and view the QR code. You'll get a notification banner that you can click on and that'll take you directly to the survey. So whether you're watching this live with us now um, or you're watching the recording of this later, you can do that. I will also post a link to that in um, the video and podcast description when I get those posted as well. And so as I just said, we will get the recording of this up. Um, so we will post it on our website, which is lsuagcenter.com forward slash beef We also have our YouTube channel, lsuagcenter-livestock, and you can search beef brunch educational series on your favorite podcast forms. Um, and we have those there as well that you can listen to. Um, and then Dr. Banta, I'm going to let you give us a plug for the webinar series that y'all have in your YouTube channel. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Uh, as Dr. Edwards mentioned, we do have one uh, that's a collaboration between county agents and specialists out of the Overton Center that we call Ag in the Evening. Um, and you can sign up for that if you're interested. Uh, tonight, I actually have a talk that we will be talking about uh, fertilizer management and considerations given the price of fertilizer uh, moving forward and we'll look at some of the cost and um, talk about how to calculate those costs and compare different products and then given 
budget constraints, which most of us have. Uh, I know I definitely do on our family operation right now. When is it going to make the most sense to fertilize? And when we think about nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium based on the forage species, um, which ones are going to give us the most return for that investment? If you are interested in that, um, you can search uh, Ag in the Evening on YouTube, or if you want to email me directly, I'll be happy to send you those links. Or uh, I know Ashley has that link as well. She can probably share that if you email her. Uh, my email address is jpbanta at ag.tamu.edu. Um, so if you're interested, we'd love to have you. And those uh, that we have one live tonight, and then those are posted online as well. Perfect, thank you. And yes, I definitely will forward that to y'all um, if you would like that. And then when they have their new series, I can always forward those to y'all as well. Or as he said, you can sign up um, to get those emails directly so that you can register for them too. So Dr. Banta, I don't see any questions for you today. Um, I know that you've already said your email and if y'all have any questions for him and you can't find his email, you can send them to me and I'll forward it on to him. Um, thank you again so much for being with us this morning. It was great to have you. Um, great to talk to you again. It's been a little bit since we visited and I appreciate that. So um, again, we'll get this recording online within the next few weeks. You'll see us put it onto our social media and our Beef Brunch site. Um, we do have our upcoming webinars online as well. Um, under the Beef Brunch site, you can look at those. I do have a few empty months that I don't have speakers or topics designated for yet this year. So if there's something that y'all want to hear about specifically, um, I know this mineral supplementation was one that quite a few people asked us about. And so that's why I reached out to Dr. Banta and asked him to do that for us. Um, so please send us any ideas that you have. And again, Dr. Banta, thank you so much. And we hope that y'all all have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.